Welcome to Lead On Purpose. I'm James Lachlan, former seven-time world champion musician and now executive coach to global leaders and high performers. In every episode, I bring you an inspiring leader or expert to help you lead your life and business on purpose. Thanks for taking the time to connect today and investing in yourself. Enjoy the show. How much time do you invest in your brain? Well, look, our brain dictates so many things. It's our largest asset. We've got to look after it, right? But often we're putting things on our skin and we're doing all these other things that care for our bodies, but our brain dictates so much. I came across a product a wee while ago called Flow State, and it's made such a difference. And look, they offer functional mushrooms that sharpen cognition. They really boost energy and definitely strengthen immunity. And they actually use uh, one of their key ingredients is lion's mane, right? So lion's mane is popular among really peak performing athletes and those wanting an edge. It's known as the brain mushroom. And it's currently being studied extensively for its nerve growth factor potential as a means to ease the symptoms of Alzheimer's and for treating inflammation in the body. Now, look, the thing I love about these products They don't taste like mushrooms. You can mix them in with your tea. They're a great replacement for coffee. But I actually love the PM mushroom blend, the evening one. It really helps me sleep. And to know that my brain is getting extra nutrients is just next level. The one thing that's really important for me is what's in there. So they've tested heavily at Hill Laboratories for heavy metals, pesticide residue, microbials, and also at Massey University for active compounds. So I urge you, if you love your brain and you want to go the extra mile to nurture it, head on over to flowstate.nz and you can use the coupon code LEADONPURPOSE to get 15% off. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get home And I think, what am I eating tonight? It's the last thing I want to do. I don't know what to cook. I don't know what's in the cupboard or in the fridge. And it often leads to poor choices like ordering some takeaways. So recently, Caroline and I started eating green dinner table. And it's absolutely amazing. After a long day when I'm knackered, I know that when I get home, there's going to be a great recipe and all the ingredients I need right there in the fridge. And look, I absolutely love it. I've been doing it for several months and it means I don't have to think at the end of the day. And I just know that I'm going to get good, nutritious, wholesome food. And look, it's plant-based, which has so many benefits. So if you're a meat eater, perhaps you might want to start on maybe just three, like a three-day plan. So you've got three evening meals for you and your partner or you and your family, depending on what option you want to go for. But the food is delicious. It's so nutritious and it means we don't need to think And as leaders of families, teams, and organizations, what we put in our bodies is just so crucially important. So I urge you to go and check it out. And I want to give you 20% off your first order. So you can go to greendinnertable.co.nz and use the coupon code PURPOSE. Sean Fahey is the founder and CEO of VidCruiter, one of the fastest growing remote recruitment platforms in the world. 
helping companies attract and hire better talent. 75,000 recruiters use VidCruiter to modernize their hiring, and their clients include organizations like Samsung, United Nations, Lionsgate, Chicago Bears, and US Foods. Sean has been in the HR industry for over 10 years, and he started VidCruiter after realizing how slow and inefficient traditional hiring processes were. In today's show, we talk about how he thinks, how he thinks differently, how he identifies problems and then gets to the root of those problems and the root of the root of that problem, and then how he identifies what solutions might work. It's an incredible entrepreneurial mindset that he possesses. So I know you're going to enjoy the show. So sit back and enjoy. Sean, a massive welcome to the Lead on Purpose podcast. Thank you, James. Thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. I was just uh, really drawn to your product, your service, and uh, really inspired by what you do, particularly post-COVID in these difficult times for companies and organizations uh, when they're trying to find top talent. So before we get into what VigCruiter is all about, I really want to ask you about your thought processes. So first of all, what do you think about leadership? What's your definition of leadership? Uh, my definition of leadership would be to lead by example. Um, so I'm a big fan of leading by example and sort of setting a path and a tone for whatever it is I'm doing. And that tends to just gravitate people who want to follow in those kinds of, in that kind of path. I find that that's the best way to, that's my definition of leadership, basically. Fantastic. And at VidCruiter, as, as the, the leader, as the founder, how do you do that on a day, uh, day-to-day basis and a weekly basis? Uh, just show up and, and work as hard as I can and get as many things as, I, as done as I can to move the needle, so to speak, with, with whoever I'm working with, whatever we're doing, um, whatever initiative we're working on, is that I try to take an action at every meeting. So if there's a purpose to that meeting, there has to be an outcome to that meeting and an action that is done at the end and sort of maybe an action, a series of action items. And so doing that all day long, every meeting, every initiative moves the organization forward faster. And that's sort of one of my goals of sort of leadership in my day-to-day abilities. It's so important. You know, we look at so many companies where leaders are busy being busy. Uh, as opposed to saying, hey, we're outcome driven. Each meeting's got a purpose and an outcome at the end of it. To me, that's a game changer. Yeah, just that simple concept to say, okay, every single meeting I'm going to go into, because I do meetings all day, is to make sure that there's an outcome that's derived from that conversation. And if not, then we stop the meeting or we continue the meeting until we find an outcome. Yeah. Um, you know, And if we can't, then maybe it's too complicated to decide on the spot and we need more people's inputs. But you know, to move that forward is sort of the sort of the goal. Mm, great. And in terms of how you think, so I imagine you have the ability to see a problem and go, okay, I know how to figure out a solution. And if it takes me a month, a year, a decade, I'm going to figure out a solution to this problem. So when you're looking around you in your world, whether it's in your personal life, or your professional life, and you see a problem, what's the first thing that comes to mind for you? Uh, the first thing is getting really attuned to seeing problems. So 
how do you spot those problems? And one of the things that I find that's the easiest to spot problems is uh, flow. So that happens in a lot of different types of sports and analogies or anything else. As soon as you're not in flow, things are not feeling good. You don't have a comfortable grasp of the situation. There seems to be something wrong. It's there's just not a proper flow of how things should run according to, you know, proper business or just things moving forward properly. Then there's a problem that needs to be fixed. So that's the first thing is to identify those problems, uh, you know, whatever that problem may be. Then the, the trigger in the flow or the fact that the flow is not flowing properly for is just step one. Step two is once you determine that that is a problem or issue, what are the possible outcomes, like I was talking about before, outcomes that you would like to solve that possible problem? And what is the root cause of creating that problem? And so I would just start looking at the different options, maybe write them down or start thinking of them through my mind and then determine, okay, which outcome would be the best to fix this problem so it wouldn't have occurred in the first place. And that kind of sort of problem solving thinking of, you know, some people call it system thinking, where you look at the system as a whole, not just that problem specifically, what caused it, what caused that, where is that coming from, um, is sort of where I try to apply my thinking when I'm looking at problems that are, you know, whether it's in my day-to-day -day or long-term problems to sort of solve for the long-term, that's sort of the, the case in which um, I'm trying to solve for. And so identifying problems is sort of half the battle, not just fixing them, because it, it's somewhat easier to fix a problem when it's in your face. It's hard to fix a problem that you don't notice. And so you have to get really in tune with noticing problems that are occurring. That, I think, is the first step and getting really good at that first and then choosing which one you want to fix and how you want to fix it becomes easier as you start noticing the different problems. And for the person who's really struggling to identify problems and is just almost blank stare, what can they do to get out of that state and start to become more aware of potential problems around them? Um, listening, listening to people, listening to conversations, you know, listening to cues and start to pick up on those cues so if you're not used to that and it is a skill that you have to develop i agree it's to um work on something simple where you can where it's very easy to spot a problem and you'll get this sort of feeling or tingling or idea or feeling and that's that's your cue and sort of becoming acute to this is happening this is my reaction when this happens I need to spot and look for this reaction. And, and you're right. It is not that easy to develop that skill set. However, you start with bigger problems that are more obvious. And, you know, your house is on fire. Or there's a problem. I can see it. I, I get this feeling. Okay, well, then uh, there's a leak in my toilet. And there's a different kind of problem, right? But that, that feeling, it, it's so minute in business sometimes. You're just talking to an employee and they're, they don't really want to tell you problems often because they're sort of shy or they don't want to. So you have to listen within the context and understand what they're really trying to tell you and get acute to that sort of problem finding skill set to then get really good at problem uh, at, at solutioning for those. Mm, really powerful stuff. Thanks for sharing that. And I think the level that you do that at is, is quite incredible in terms of what you've created with FitCruiter. And I look back and go, okay, well, you've done some reps. Anybody that's excellent at anything, whether it's a world champion athlete, whether it's a CEO of a billion dollar company, they've put in a ton of reps. So when you look back on your life, 
where did some of those reps start to happen maybe earlier in life where you were spotting problems coming up with uh, identifying and coming up with solutions? Yeah. I mean, I think the first time is when I was maybe like 12 or 13 years old and I wanted to buy a Super Nintendo and uh, and my parents wouldn't let me have one because I was I had the original Nintendo and I was playing it too much. <laughs> so there was this problem that I wanted to play video games and I couldn't get the solution through traditional methods. So I had to find another way to to do that. And I ended up winning and raising more money when I was 12 or 13 years old for our school through a walkathon and and ended up winning the Super Nintendo, right? So it was just sort of out of necessity at that stage. But um, it basically comes down to, you know, honing the skill of finding problems and then learning to like the process of fixing problems and finding them. You know, that would be the other layer of what I would say that you would need to do is when it becomes a game to find these problems, you're going to start getting good at it and maybe do it with your kids on something simple, but just make it a game or something of a process. You know, you walk into a restaurant. Let's look at what's wrong with this business as we have dinner here. Not that what's wrong, but what could be improved. And then, oh, the waiter could have said this. Oh, the, the hostess could have done this. Oh, the, you know, they could have done that. Okay. And then you start, sort of spot those when you're walking into your everyday life. And then it becomes easier to see those as you sort of run your own business. Or even if you're an athlete, if you're running plays or whatever it is that you're doing, you'll notice that it just doesn't flow properly. This could have been better. What is it missing to do that extra level? And I used to do that a lot when I used to go to retail organizations and say, okay, how would that have been a better experience for me? What problems did I see that that business had? And you get into that mindset and then it's much easier for you to do that all the time. It just becomes second nature. What I love about that, and it's just that whole idea. So let, let's take something that's um, computer oriented. So I've got a friend who loves building funnels, who loves using Zapier and all these things. And I think of those and I just get, like frustrated, I get overwhelmed. I'm like, that's not my thing. I want to speak and communicate. I don't want to do all that stuff. So I have this attachment of frustration attached to that stuff. Whereas he's like, oh my God, this is the greatest challenge, the greatest opportunity to overcome this challenge. And it sounds like you've got a similar take on when you look at a problem, it's like attaching joy to figuring out the problem rather than frustration. Exactly. And that also was a skill that I had to develop was developing a skill to enjoy the process of fixing problems mm -hmm. and enjoy the process of finding them and making it as a game. And then it no longer becomes, um, you know, annoying or, or not a good experience for you. It just, you turn it around and make it fun. Right. And so whether it's just a small, simple thing as when you walk into a restaurant or store and start looking at it from that point of view. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to take this in, in kind of real time. So VidCruder is the solution to a problem. So I want to step back and I'd love to know what was the problem you identified at the start? And you're like, oh, I need to start exploring that. So that's a great question. Um, and so the problem that was, I was working for an insurance company uh, in, in greater Toronto area at the time, and uh, they they were explaining to me their goal and the vision of this organization. And I was a newer employee at the time there and I just started. And they told me that they wanted to hire 200 insurance agents across the country as fast as possible. But their goal was like a five-year plan. And I went home and I said, okay, well, they want to hire 200 people in five years. What if we could do that in 30 days? What if we could turn around this idea of this sort of goal that they had and really turn around its head and say, how could we hire 200 people in 30 days? 
And I started doing the math of how many resumes you'd have to look at. It was like 10,000 or 20,000 or 50,000. And then phone screens and then interviews and then checking references and maybe background checks. And, you know, the process of bringing everyone in the office to do the interview with them because that wasn't video conferencing at that time. And, you know, how would you go about all these different steps and stages? And I said, we would, if only I had a solution that would automate most of those steps and stages in the recruitment process. And I could just sit in my office and the finalists would walk in. That's what I would like to have. And so that's where the idea from VidCruiter came. Um, shortly thereafter, I quit my job and started VidCruiter. Uh, <laughs> but the idea was to solve that problem, was to solve automated hiring. Um, and at the time, I realized that that wasn't a marketable product. So what we ended up doing is building six different products that automate different stages of the recruitment cycle. So we have one for referees. We automate the, the process of capturing referees. And we have one to automate skill testing. So we have one to automate interviewing and scheduling and filtering. So, And then what we've ended up doing is selling each individual product as a separate product for organizations, depending on which problem they need to solve in their recruitment cycle. Because not everyone has the same product problem and no one really wants to automate recruiting. They always want to, you know, that's, that's sort of, um, that was the initial idea, but we're, we're fixing different steps and stages of that recruitment cycle. Then you can mix and match those products together for whichever one you need. But the idea was simply asked of me, how would you automate or how would you automate the recruiting process? And I just sort of put these pieces together and started VidCruiter, which our core product is video interviewing. It's asynchronous or on-demand video interview technology uh, where candidates will record themselves at home on their own time. And then you'll watch that video interview after on your own time to determine if that's someone you actually want to talk to. Hmm. Love it. And before we unpack that a bit more, that step, to me, that's the big leap where you were working for the organization. You had this amazing idea and you're like, done, I'm heading over here and I'm going to do my own thing. What gave you enough confidence and self-belief to make that big leap? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, well, I had been an entrepreneur for the 10 years before that, worked for them for two, three months, and then continued my entrepreneur journey. So it was not a big leap for me at the time. But the first big leap that I did, you know, if we go back 10 years before that, uh, that would have been a series of... I know you were asking this at the beginning, sort of reprogramming my thought process on what it is to be an entrepreneur and own your own business and how to how to really get into that phase. I think that's what kind of what you're asking. Yeah. Maybe for so the first one was to read a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which was, you know, the one that really gave me the concept of owning a business. And after that, it I started some small businesses and one of the best things that I did, which is kind of funny looking back, but it was I listened to Eminem a lot uh, to certain key songs that he had about the struggle that you would go through to sort of help reprogram my thoughts around success and how I needed to sort of visualize myself attaining these goals and becoming an entrepreneur and going through that challenge. And it was very similar to the, like the Eight Mile song and those kinds of songs that he listened to. And just listening to that on repeat would help me develop sort of that mindset, that willpower to overcome the sort of negative self-talk that comes with being an entrepreneur that maybe restricts you from getting to that next level. 
What you're saying is, it just rings so many bells. So if I'm interviewing someone who's an Olympic champion or say an All Blacks rugby captain, one thing that you've just said that they also say is the power of visualizing the desired outcome, getting that mental image and using mental imagery to help you move towards it. And I always think, you know, vision precedes victory. You know, when you're heading towards victory, you need to have a clear sign of what that looks like. And I love that you're, you're very clear in that you use that model uh, to, to get there. Now, entrepreneur, so let's talk about it. You had like a little moment, a little blink where you went and worked for someone else. So for the person that is thinking of becoming an entrepreneur and is working for someone else right now, what's the difference? It's night and day. <laughs> uh, the, I mean, I've, I've been a career entrepreneur my whole life uh, since I was, you know, graduated from university. I sort of started with a business and, and I created the business while I was at school. Uh, if someone wants to be a career entrepreneur, I think the first thing that you need to master is that vision. And the, the same way that you have to master that, not just the vision, but the the negative feedback loop that you have in your mind or within your, your, your mind, the same voice that tells you you shouldn't do that extra crunch at the gym, that's the same voice that you need to master to become an entrepreneur. And so if you're an athlete and you've mastered that voice before, it's easier to go into entrepreneurship because you conquered that part of your mind. And so I, I often recommend people that want to be entrepreneurs to look at how can you get over that initial hump of the um, self-doubt. That is the hardest step to do. And also uh, use your willpower to your advantage uh, and have that as a muscle that you develop. You need to develop the kind of thinking the same way that you develop your bicep at the gym. It's develop that as a muscle that you continuously push and retract and push and push and push so that you are not the reason that your business doesn't succeed. And develop very good habits in this problem solving uh, sort of secondary aspect I was telling you about before and problem spotting to then be able to um, move forward. And if you can do that in a business that has good potential and is a marketable product and you're driven to accomplish that goal, then nothing will stop you. You'll, you'll accomplish whatever goal it is that you're set out to, to achieve. Mm, great advice. And I want to talk a little bit about where things are at right now. So post-COVID, certainly here in Australia, New Zealand, uh, and I know in the UK as well, uh, there's a big struggle to find top talent and recruit top talent. So from your experience, how can we do that? How, what are your strategies to attract top talent? That's a good question. Uh, yeah, so being in the talent business, we see all different approaches from all sorts of different organizations. I think the first approach to attracting top top talent is really putting your best foot forward and showcasing what it what makes your organization great uh, why do people come work for you in the first place not that many organizations do that and that starts at your career page and so when your your biggest career page is sort of your biggest billboard for talent do you have testimonials from current staff does it say why working for you is a great idea um, what is your, your vision for that organization, the culture, the future, you know, what makes it fun to work there and try to hit as many different sort of touch points that people are looking for, uh, within the organization. 
because you can't just compete on salary. Everyone has a sort of salary bracket for their industry. You have to stand out from that. And that starts at the career page. And one thing that a lot of people don't do is add videos, add videos, testimonials of different types of people within the organization who've been there for five to 10 years telling their story. That would be the first thing that I would recommend to anyone who is uh, looking to enhance their brand and their brand experience for candidates applying to them is step one. Step two would be to automate as many different stages of the recruitment process that don't bring value and that tend to drag on for candidates. We have some clients for retail sectors, a lot of them in Australia. Uh, you can apply to a job and get hired within 24 hours. Um, and so how can you compete against that if you're another retailer and it takes four weeks to, to give a job offer? These candidates need a job today, you know, so they're looking to get hired now. And so if you can meet them where their goals are and their needs are for the type of role that you're hiring for, give a job in 24 hours. That should be your challenge. And so we do that with uh, Monroe Footwear Group in Australia, actually. So, you know, these are examples of how we can meet the candidates where their needs are to give them what they're looking for in the roles that they're looking to, to, to fix and hire. I believe we should all be taking shots. Yes, you heard me right. Every morning, I take a double shot of Nutrient Rescue. Reason being, well, the harmful Western diet of heavily processed food combined with our busy, stressful lives means that 60 to 70% of people are missing out on their five a day of fruit and veg. This micronutrient per diet has contributed to the modern epidemics of obesity, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, and dementia. The studies prove it. Look, 87% of people who take the Nutrient Rescue shots reported feeling better within the first month. That's because 100% of the ingredients in Nutrient Rescue products are 100% grown in New Zealand. But look, don't take my word for it. Give it a try yourself. Using the code PURPOSE, you will get a 15% discount. So head over to NutrientRescue.nz and that 15% discount goes across any of their superfoods including their starter pack so cheers to you joining me for some shots oscar de la renta put it perfectly fashion is about dressing according to what's fashionable style is more about being yourself and that's one thing i always try to do is try to be myself whether i'm interviewing a former head of state hanging with my family on the weekend or working with some of my incredible clients. I try to always just be myself as much as possible. And part of that is dressing accordingly. But every now and then, a special occasion will call for some special fashion. And I am by no means any expert on fashion. And that's why I'm delighted to partner with Munns. Munns is back and it's better than ever. Located in the beautiful Tannery Emporium on Garlands Road in Christchurch. It offers a huge range for men with suits for hire and sale, ties, jeans, waistcoats, hats, sunglasses, and more. So for all of your menswear needs, head along and check it out at muns.co.nz. Mm, that's powerful. And in terms of the costs around poor hiring decisions, 
what are those costs? If people are not making good hiring decisions and have clunky ways of hiring, what are the costs associated with that in your opinion? There, every organization has a different cost structure around what it costs to hire someone in you know, retail versus uh, different types of executives and so on and so forth. Um, those numbers are all over the map for all sorts of different companies. Our goal is to reduce that by 50, 60, 75%. And also the time to hire, which is a little bit more important than the cost. The cost structure is not always easy to reduce or change because you know that's sort of your team's cost and that's the, the team that you have in place. But filling that time to hire has a much higher ROI. So if you have you know a, a need to get 20, 30, 40 people on your team all of a sudden, then how much is it costing you not having those people in the organization? That is probably a bigger cost than the cost to hire them. So that's really when you have to look at the cost structure is what is it costing you not having that staff onboarded? That is where you, you know, adequate the real dollars, not just the cost of hiring and reducing that by 20, 30, 40%. But if I have now these 15 or 20 new engineers, how much more money is the business going to make? And that's mm. the way to look at that sort of equation, in my opinion. Yeah, it kind of interrupts that pattern of thinking around just the fixed cost around recruitment and looks at that potential lost opportunity by not having the staff on board. You got it. Exactly. And that's really the cost. It's looking at it from the system's point of view. It's not just, well, what does this cost me? And I'm going to make this a little bit faster. It's not having that person hired, you know, reduce that time. To, we have some clients, a lot of government clients, we reduce their time to hire a person by from 200 days to 40 days. We do that with a lot of governments in Australia and all, all across, uh, all of Canada, all around the world. That, you know, that time to fill that role, whether it's private sector or government, doesn't matter who it is, is dramatic in terms of the upside in ROI once that person can start contributing to your, your organization. Mm, that's huge. And I hope that the, the leader that's listening to this right now is taking that on board. And something I wanted to ask you is this, just around interviewing processes. So... During an interview process, we're human and we naturally have different biases programmed in. So how can we remove bias from the interviewing process? There's a few different ways that we suggest to our clients to remove biases from their interview process. The first one is remove you know, the human from the interview process, if possible, in, in the sense that with an asynchronous video interview, there's no one human asking the questions directly. It would be a video of someone asking the question. Uh, so you record yourself asking the question and the candidate records themselves asking the question. The reason that's a great process is because what happens is that every single candidate is asked the same question, interviewed the same way, given the same amount of time to think about their answer, given the same amount of time to answer their question and the same difficulty level. And so all of a sudden, every interview is identical. So we didn't ask, you know, oh, you're from Auckland. Oh, you're from this place. Oh, you you like the All Blacks. I like the All Blacks. Like, let's let's not. You can't have that kind of conversation anymore, right? When it's sort of automated in this way, then what we do is we give the videos to be watched by maybe more than one manager, and so I will send these videos that are recorded to two or three people, and they will all watch the interview on their own time, so there won't be a bias during the sort of recap or debate of after the interview. And determine using a structured interview format, which I'll explain here in a, in a second, but using a competency by guide interview format, 
what are the criteria we're looking for and how did that candidate do against those criteria that I'm looking to evaluate in terms of what should be a good answer for this kind of interview question. And that's the kind of thing that we recommend. So everyone's treated identically. They're evaluated by humans, not robots, because that could be um, you know, discriminatory on its own. And the evaluation methodology that is used is the best practices to ensure that no biases creep into the process. Hmm. And that sort of will help eliminate biases because none can be created when everyone's treated identically. And then multiple people with different backgrounds or, or different uh, sort of demographics can evaluate the candidates and then give their un, uh, un, like unbiased opinion, which means like no other person can be in a panel when there's a debrief and say, well, I really like this person because, you know, secretly they're my cousin. Uh, so I'm going to push everyone to hire them. When everyone's evaluating on their own time independently, that can't happen as well. And so the process of using our tools helps reduce bias. And that's one of the main value propositions that we have. Then when you do meet with someone in a video conference or whatever type of format that you're meeting with them, you then also add in that structured interview layer so that there's competency guides and evaluation guides built into how to look for a good answer for that candidate's response. So what that means is when you do an interview, you're listening to an answer. You might do an interview once a year as a hiring manager. How do you know what is a good answer? You might have a gut feeling about what they said and what they're looking for. What our most sophisticated clients do is that when that candidate walks in the door, you have your interview questions and you have a grid of what is a good answer specific to that interview question. In customer support, it would say, did they say that they followed up with the client after? Did they go and figure out why that client complained in the first place and fix that problem for them? Did they set up, you know, other things? So it kind of guides you into what to look for in a good answer from a response to that specific candidate. So the hiring manager who interviews once a year has something to base their decision off of instead of just gut feeling. Structuring that process and delivering that mechanism, so delivering that interview guide to every manager for every interview at every single time, whether it's in person, in a video conference, over the phone. However, they're conducting that final interview after they've sort of gone through the initial rigor is then the next level to ensuring the biases are removed from the interview process. That's so that's powerful. a lot of that's a lot of information I just shared that I can that unpack that more. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, we we sell interview compliance. It's one of the things that we do to large organizations for every interview. Like the, delivering that to everyone everywhere to make sure everyone's compliant, to make sure there's no biases that's but that humans are still making the decisions. That's really what Bidcruiter's power is. That's really incredible. And do you still see like there's that element of like the human element at, at the end of the process where, it, as you said, it's not AI assessing the, the responses, it's a human. So there's still some degree a gut feel of, is that person telling me what I want to hear versus, oh, that sounds authentic. So do you still think there's room in the vid process? Like, hey, we still have the human aspect to it. Hundred percent. We do not have AI in our product at this time because every study and research we've done, which we've done multiple, and every that there's discrimination is leaking into that decision making process at this time. Mm -hmm. um, and it could be from your accent, or it could be from you know a way that you say a certain word, or a way that you explain a certain situation can be perceived in different cultures different ways. Um, 
So, you know, we say reference and you say referee, right? But we're talking about your previous employer. Well, maybe the AI doesn't realize that those are the same word, you know, and we see all sorts of cases of that. So, uh, yeah, at this time, humans still need to make the final judgment call. But the difference with what we're talking about a structured interview is your ratings throughout the structured interview will guide you into this is the best person and these are the, the second and third and fourth. Now, you might say, well, my rating during that time wasn't accurate. And after I review the other person, I need to calibrate my scores. But you have a data point to make a decision, sort of a comparative decision. I've got five candidates. They have 80, 90, you know, 100% score, et cetera, right? But I still want to hire the 90%. And here's why. But at least you can justify that. You have data to back it up. And strangely enough, or funny enough, all governments follow this interview process to protect themselves from discrimination because they've realized it's the best practice. It's the easiest way for compliance. And it's the hardest way to prove that you didn't, that you had a bias. The private sector hasn't really, you know, jumped on as much because it's typically super expensive and time consuming to deliver this kind of interview methods. Mm-hmm. You have to meet in panels. You have to meet in person. Everyone's taking notes. You, to, you know, it's super expensive. So, we just flipped that whole model and delivered to everyone every time, every place, extremely cost effectively without the, the burdens of all the previous sort of um, cost structures associated to structured interviews in the past. So that's a little bit of how we did that. But yeah. Yeah, you really flipped it. I love it. It's interesting. It reminds me so of my past time as a drummer. So uh, we'd be drumming at a world championship event. You'd have uh, four adjudicators and so let's say there's 20 to 30 people in a, in a band and you're playing about seven and a half to 8,000 notes in a f- seven minute period, like a, lo- a lot of detail going on there. And the judges are assessing tempo, tonality, uh, the, the, ver- the variation of dynamics, the ensemble, all these different things. Now, in the UK where it was founded, there's a certain system for each judge, but it's, it's very much subjective. Like, oh, yeah, no, I like that tune you selected. Oh, I like the dynamic range you selected. Oh, I like the difficulty. I didn't like that. Canada came out, uh, so the, the, the PPBSO of Ontario, actually, they came out with this different system. And it was very much what you just described. It was, it was quite incredible. It give uh, a judge the opportunity to go, okay, the introduction, the first 30 seconds, you know, mm-hmm. good, bad, indifferent. Um, the, then the pickup from there, the tonality, and it was checkboxes. Now, a lot of people worldwide were like, this, this is not, we shouldn't be doing that. But actually, when you're judging 25 pipe bands within a two-hour period, and each of them are playing seven and a half to 8,000 strokes in you know, a short period of time, having that system to go, oh, there's my top three. There's you know four to 10. There's 10 to 20. It's such a great system. So what I'm hearing is you're taking a very similar but more detailed approach and a very similar model and bringing that to the recruitment experience. You got it. That's the exact analogy for the exact same of, you know, word for word. It's structuring the process by which you make your decisions. Yeah. And by doing so, you will make a better decision. Now, your guide at the end may not agree with what you've decided. However, now you have to justify why your own scores are not the reason for the, you know, and if you add multiple panelists, like multiple judges in your case, it eventually will get to a consensus or much closer to a consensus. So it's, it's much easier to get to a, a decision-making process. And our, and our goal as an organization 
is that every interview at every stage follows that same methodology that you just described um, for every interview. It's the same uh, methodology. We had a, a worked at a private school for a number of years, and we had scholarships that we give out, so quite substantial uh, scholarships for the entire like high school experience for this private school. And uh, each candidate would come in, and there'd be a panel of three assessors, and there'd be you know, six pages with check boxes in terms of how did they perform in this area, you know, all and all the different possibilities within that and it was just incredibly helpful so at the end when you're making an 80 to two hundred thousand dollar decision for this young 10 year old and their mm-hmm. and their family you're like we feel good about that we were thorough we have data points that we can go back and reflect on if anybody ever challenges this so i i think what you're doing from a recruitment standpoint is absolutely needed we actually do that for admissions as well we have a, a substantial amount of clients that use us for video admissions and mm-hmm. admissions make uh, process decisions as well for universities yeah it's fantastic. And so for the person that's listening right now going, hey, I want to check this out. Like, what's VidCritter all about? What's the easiest way for them to actually give it a go? Perfect. Uh, so we have a website, vidcritter.com. You could see a couple of videos. We actually got one produced in Sydney. Uh, that's on our homepage. And we have staff in Australia as well, and as well as in Canada, all around the world, actually. Um, and uh, they can request a demo. That would put them in touch with one of our people from our sales team. And uh, they would get a half an hour or one hour presentation of how our tools work. And we generally try to customize our presentation to that exact client's needs. Uh, so it's not like a cookie cutter, just like, oh, I just want to look at you know a quick two minute video. We will drill into what is your need? What is your process? Where is your bottlenecks? And we'll do that problem solving experience that I was just describing with you in terms of Looking at your HR processes from an operations point of view, basically, is sort of, you know, the, the the way that we do it, and then suggest this tool at this stage for this process will accelerate your recruiting by, you know, seventy percent on this one product, and if you multiply that times, you know, ten, a hundred, a thousand requisitions that you're filling, you're changing dramatically the way in which that organization recruits their staff, mm-hmm. while at the same time increasing the quality. One of the initial problems that I had with this entire idea was that quality and speed were opposites. You couldn't get a win-win. If you need to hire 200 people, you can do that in one day. Everyone that applies, here's your job. Quality is a guess. But if you want to do the structured interview methodology that we're talking about through all every hire all the time, that's going to delay everything by months. And so how do you reduce, how do you get a win-win? And that was the goal of VidCritter was faster and better quality. Mm-hmm. And so that that's our that's sort of our mission at this time. Well, I'll make sure and put the links in the show notes for that as well. So people can actually click through and check it out. And as, as well, I guess a, a question in my mind. So this can be for an organization, but could this also be for a recruitment firm who wants to utilize the software? Yeah, we have a lot of recruitment firms that, that use our products. Uh, we have governments. Uh, we helped build the Westgate Tunnel in uh, in Melbourne. We were part of that initiative. Um, you know, we have clients all around the world. But the whether it's an agency that's hiring for others, they could create video profiles and then send those to their clients. Which you know, now I get a resume and five six questions asked, and you know, maybe a grid of what to look for when I'm evaluating them. Uh, we have a lot of agencies as clients as well. That's amazing. Well, look, just one last question. Before we wrap up, I want to um, ask you to transport 
yourself ahead, uh, maybe 20, 30, 40, maybe even 100 years if we're allowed to live that long with medical advances. So it's your last day on earth and it's your last five minutes, in fact. And you've got a young person who comes up to you, a young person in your family who you really love and admire. And they ask you, hey, Sean, how can I lead my life on purpose? What would your advice be to them? Uh, my advice would be to set up your life so that that happens automatically. Mm-hmm. And so if that's your goal, set up your life so that it that happens. And an analogy that you could use in this time and era is, you know, I never bought a TV because I knew that that would distract me. So I did I, for 20 years, I didn't own a television because it wouldn't allow me to live my life in the purpose that I wanted to, because I would sometimes go and sit down and watch something that would remove me from being able to do that. Now, obviously you need to do something else at some times. And then I got married and had to get a TV because <laughs> <laughs> my wife wanted to maybe watch a movie from time to time. But but that's an example of you set up your life so that it happens no matter what you do and you get that outcome. Mm, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. I just want to say a huge thanks for what you do um, for all these companies globally and m- making life easier and getting better outcomes. So keep doing what you're doing. I'm looking forward to seeing how it grows. Thank you, James. I really appreciate you having us on the show. And yes, it's been awesome. Great conversation. Uh, thanks, Sean. Thanks for tuning in today and investing in your own personal leadership. Please hit that subscribe button and I'd love if you'd leave me a rating and review. I've got some amazing guests lined up for you in the coming weeks and leaders, it's that time to get out there and lead your life on purpose.